Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Thanks, Jesus. That right there? Power move! Uh, Nate and I used to work together and he used to try to pull power moves on me, so I thought I'd just do that tonight. But uh, I've actually become really into power moves. Uh, I tried to write some down for you. Uh, John, you just told me one before. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you may be feeling slightly intimidated by a colleague. You come in to talk to them. Uh, I don't know, a colleague. If you don't have a colleague, you, can, you get the idea. And you stop and you say, oh, are you okay? Oh, it just looks like you've been crying. Boom, power move, right? How good, right? You can try that one as well. Write it down. Uh, I was in a situation, actually with Nate, when we got power moved, uh, but I'll, I'll change all the details so no one can work out what it was. Uh, but imagine you get invited to like a cousin's birthday party, and so your siblings go as well, and when you get there, you thank your siblings for coming. Just establishes for them that you're closer to the cousin than they are. Power move. If you call anyone over the age of eight years old, chief, sport, or tiger, power move. I forgot one that I, I had written down. When you're walking along the street and someone goes to take over you because you're walking slowly, you just kind of speed up so that then they're walking beside you. And what are they going to do? Are they going to like run in front of you? Or are they going to get back behind you where they belong? Power move. All right. I don't do any of these except that water bottle one with Nate. Uh, but I'll let you decide what you think is okay. We're talking about power moves because when you start to read the Gospels, these stories about Jesus, you realize just how often other people try to do power moves on Jesus. Like a power move is always petty. Right? It's insecure. It's just trying to vie for a little bit more power to make yourself feel a bit more important. And it happens to Jesus a lot that people try to do it, except Jesus doesn't play petty power games. Jesus has actual power. Actual power that he wants to use, not for himself, but for us. I'm going to pray, I'm going to look at one of those stories with the power move. God, we thank you so much uh, for Kick. Uh, we pray that the youth would uh, either be able to listen or sleep quietly. Uh, we, we pray for everyone else that we'd be able to be attentive to what you have to say to us and that you would be using this passage to change our lives. Amen. I wonder what you think of when you hear Pharisee. Like bad guys, right? It's pretty clear, bad guys. Legalistic, maybe, judgmental, narrow-minded. And it does seem like some of them, when we read the stories in the Gospels, really were that. Maybe even a lot of them were that. But they were supposed to be so much more. They were this grassroots religious movement in Judea amongst the Jewish people. They wanted to safeguard their nation from falling away from their God. And so they were deeply committed to the scriptures. They were deeply committed to God's law. So they debated and clarified how to interpret the commandments in the Old Testament. And they had this whole collection of extra teachings that they all took very seriously to help them keep the law. In fact, a lot of the time they had extra laws to make sure they didn't even get close to breaking the original law. They didn't necessarily have a lot of political power but they were respected by the people. So they had social and religious power. And maybe that's where it started to go wrong. Because along came this upstart peasant from Nazareth named Jesus. 
He did things a mere man shouldn't be able to do. And he said things a mere man certainly shouldn't say. And the Pharisees felt like he was getting treated like a mere man shouldn't be treated. They were used to being the respected ones. But people had started comparing them to Jesus and pointing out how he obviously had so much more wisdom than them. But Jesus was dangerous. He forgave sins when only God was supposed to do that. And people praised him for being good. But then he would go and eat with people who were anything but good. So the Pharisees started following him around. They joined the groupies and hangers-on. But rather than being gullible fools like the groupies, the Pharisees watched closely, ready to put Jesus back in his place at the first misstep. And one day, one Sabbath day, an opportunity presented itself. Jesus and his disciples were walking through a grain field and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain and rub them in their hands, get the husks off and eat the kernels. Busted. Busted. Not for stealing the grain. The law actually had provisions to allow people to take a little bit of grain from other people's fields. That was fine. But they couldn't do it on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is like Jewish Saturday. comes every week, but it's a day of rest for God's people. And not working on the Sabbath was a key way for the Jewish people to show that they were God's chosen people in a special relationship with him. So no work was permitted on the Sabbath. And rubbing the husks of these kernels to eat them? That's work. So they courageously confronted Jesus. Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Got him. Well, maybe got him. Except their interpretation of this being work was actually debated amongst Jewish people of the time. It wasn't really clear what was and wasn't always work on the Sabbath. Even in the oral traditions of the Pharisees, even in the Mishnah, if you know what that is, uh, It says this, the rules about the Sabbath, festal offerings and sacrilege, are as mountains hanging by a hair. For scripture is scanty and the rules are many. Basically, that means what did and didn't count as work on the Sabbath was a bit of a gray area, a disputed area. And Jesus could have just pointed that out. He could have come down to their level and argued technicalities around the law with them. But that's not Jesus' way. Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Jesus speaks the language of the Pharisees here. He he does reason from Scripture, but not the Scripture the Pharisees might have expected and certainly not to make a point they were expecting. Jesus establishes a precedent from Scripture that would allow for exceptions. David was able to break the rules when he and his men were hungry. And if the Pharisees had had the chance, they might have objected, yeah, sure, but that's David. David was the king. He was God's anointed one. He was God's chosen king. He had real authority. 
And to that, Jesus might have responded, exactly. But Jesus doesn't even give them the chance to object. While they're still off balance, before they have the chance to go into a huddle and regroup and come up with a strategy, before they can respond, Jesus says something even more controversial. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Son of Man is a tricky phrase. Normally, Son of Man just meant human. So on face value, Jesus was just saying something ambiguous about a human being being in charge of the Sabbath. But if they understood what he was really saying, they might have tried to kill him right there and then. But before we think about what he was really saying, another Sabbath confrontation. So on another Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue, that's like a Jewish church, and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. The Pharisees' reason, surely healing is work, right? So if he heals someone, he's working on the Sabbath. And before, with the grain, that was just his disciples breaking the Sabbath. But this time, it'll be Jesus himself. Would he dare break the Sabbath in front of them all? But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. And then Jesus asked a question. I ask you, which is lawful to do on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? But the Pharisees remain silent. They've got nothing to say. I love how the Bible scholar David Garland describes the Pharisees at this point. In their zeal, in their passion to protect the law, They do not use it to set captives free, but to bind them even tighter. They have no power to heal, only to deal out death. But Jesus, Jesus offers freedom to the captives. Recovery of sight for the blind. He comes to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so he stares into their defiance and he speaks into their silence, stretch out your hand. And the man's hand was completely restored. The Pharisees were furious, and why wouldn't they be? Captives to their own rules and restrictions. They can't even understand what freedom is, let alone accept it. They tried to petition off, they tried to fence off part of the week and put it outside Jesus' control. They tried to restrict him. But you can't put limits on Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Remember Jesus saying, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Son of Man could be translated as human, so Jesus could just be saying the human is the Lord of the Sabbath. But Jesus isn't just talking about any human, he's talking about himself. And he's not just talking about a Son of Man, he's talking about the Son of Man. He's talking about the Son of Man who was prophesied about by Daniel in the very scriptures the Pharisees want to guard. A few hundred years before Jesus, the prophet Daniel had a vision. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. 
He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That's the Son of Man. That's the Anointed One. That's Jesus. He is Lord. How could he possibly be brought down by legal quibbles and technicalities and petty power plays when he's Lord? Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath and he's Lord over the rest of the week too. He's Lord over the damaged nerves and atrophied muscles of a shriveled hand and he's Lord over the rest of the body. He's Lord at all times and he's Lord over every time zone. He's Lord everywhere and he's Lord forever. He's Lord over life and he's Lord over death. He's Lord over the people that follow him lovingly and even over people like the Pharisees who follow him around spitefully. He's Lord over each of us. And he's Lord over all of us. Whether or not we want to acknowledge it. William Wilberforce was a British politician a couple of hundred years ago who was really important in getting Britain to outlaw the slave trade. And not coincidentally, he was also a really serious Christian. He actually wrote a book on how Christians often practice their faith. And at times in the book, he's like brutally accurate, even though he, for Christians today, even though it was written 200 years ago. That's the title of the book if you want to write it down, but uh, he needed an editor, clearly. (laughs) In one section of the book, he identifies a habit we have as Christians. And I'll paraphrase it because if that's his title, you can imagine how he writes. But let me just paraphrase what he says. Wilberforce Wilberforce imagines that our lives are like a field. And when we become Christians, we petition off, we allocate part of that field just for Jesus. We devote it to Jesus. And then we build these big fences around that part of the field to protect what we've devoted to Jesus from anything else. But Wilberforce says what we're really doing when we put up those fences is not guarding everything else from Jesus, it's guarding Jesus from everything else. We partition off a section for him and then we keep the rest for ourselves. He can still be Lord, but only over this much. We try to put limits on him. I wonder if you can think of how you might be doing that in your life right now. But Wilberforce says, that's not all. Over time, we might want to reassess the subdivisions in our fields and reconsider these boundaries and maybe shuffle the fences in a little bit more and a little bit more and give Jesus less and less. But if Jesus is truly Lord, if he's truly your Lord and my Lord, then he's Lord over all of it. You can't put limits on Jesus. It didn't work for the Pharisees and it's not going to work for us. But even more than it not working, why would we want to put limits on Jesus? Because even if we might want to use our small, weak power and authority to control and limit others, 
Jesus wants to use his actual power and authority, not to limit us, but to bless us. He wants to set us free. He wants to guide us into lives where we can stand firm through the hard times and flourish in the good times. Later in chapter 6, Jesus asks us, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. He says that the ones who listen to Jesus and obey Jesus are people that are building their house or establishing their lives on a solid rock. When the storms come, that person will be able to stand firm. He offers us a a richer life, a sturdier life, but we can only receive it. We can only really enjoy it if we stop trying to fence him in and let him have it all. So what parts of your life are you trying to fence off from Jesus? In what ways are you calling him Lord but still ignoring his authority? Is there a time of the week that you're keeping to yourself? Is there a relationship you don't want him to have a say in? Is there a grudge or greed that you don't want to let go of? I want to give you a minute to to really consider that question. What are you fencing off from Jesus? What in your life don't you want, to have, want him to have authority over? I encourage you to consider it and then confess it. Tell him. Tell it to the one who wants to set you free, help you flourish, make you stand firm. Let's take a minute now. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are the Son of Man. We admit that even though God has given you all authority, glory, and sovereign power, we still try to limit your authority in our lives. We're sorry. And we pray that we wouldn't fall into the same mistake as the Pharisees and see your authority as a threat to us. But instead, we'd see that listening to you and obeying you lets us stand firm and flourish. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.